Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Alright folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 165 today. We're going to be talking about ancient American mounds with Dr. Gregory Little. Uh, Dr. Gregory's been on the show a few times before. We did an episode on Denisovan Origins, which is one of his books with Andrew Collins. Uh, We also did an episode with him on Atlantis and Edgar Cayce. And most recently, I think we did an episode on UFOs and plasma energy and things of that nature. So check those out if you have not already. I will add the links after we are done with the episode. Uh, If you'd like to check out Dr. Gregory's books, I have the link down below to his Amazon page. And I also have his website, freedomtochange.org. And um, what, what real quick, why don't you check out Indra's web? Org, which is our app that we created for rational discourse. Uh, you will get an alert when the app goes live, which would be soon. And uh, yeah, it's for all these kinds of topics, ancient civilizations and megalithic structures and alternative theories and hypotheses and all that wonderful stuff. So go check that out. Uh, you can also check out our Patreon. I just uploaded a new segment with uh, Randall Carlson. So go to patreon.com slash podcast for just $2 a month. You'll get access to that. Uh, and we also just did a full episode with Randall on our, our uh, YouTube channel and audio platforms as well. And, uh, yeah, that was a mouthful. So welcome back on the show, Dr. Gregory. Well, thank you, guys. It's always a pleasure being with you. It's, uh, it's good to be with you during the, uh, hopefully, the end phase of our pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, Randall Carlson's a great guy. I know you know that. Uh, I got to meet him a couple years ago and talk with him quite a bit. Uh, very interesting guy. Had a lot of great information almost nobody else has ever covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm glad you had him on. I haven't listened to that episode, but I will check that out uh, probably when we're done here. Uh, so again, glad to be back. Um, and I know we talked last time. I've said many times that um, uh, describing the Native American mounds, of course, a simple mound is easy to describe, but the earthworks in particular, uh, North America has the most intricate and the most complex geometric earthworks of anywhere in the world Mm. by far. Yet trying to describe those verbally is almost impossible. So I know what we've done today is to put together something to where we can show mounds and earthworks uh, visually, uh, and I think that's great. Uh, and I'm I'm glad to do it. I love talking about Indian mounds. Uh, I'll talk about how it started with me at some point here. So if we're ready, I'll go ahead and. Uh, Start from my side. What do you think? Yeah, so uh, we have a nice slideshow um, uh, Dr. Gregory put together. So if you're listening on an audio platform, please check out our YouTube channel. But it will be also be, you know, pleasing to the ears as well. So I don't yeah, think we'll you necessarily... Yeah, we'll describe them as best as possible. Yeah, yeah, I so, hope so. Uh, I, will, you... I will describe them as we go along. <laughs> 
All right, so here we go. Let me put well, cameraman here. Pull this right. up and uh, let's see here. Okay. All right, we are up. All right. Well, this is kind of a brief tour, although uh, the more I think about it, it's not going to be so brief. Uh, what most people think of mounds uh, are relatively small humps of earth, conical mounds, like an ice cream cone that's flat or turned over. Uh, and this this particular illustration, it's not an illustration, the photo is from what's called the Butahatchee Mounds in Alabama. And it's what most people really expect to see. There are also lots of these smaller platform mounds. This is from West Virginia. Uh, this is actually a pretty famous mound because some seven-footers were pulled out of it. Uh, to give you an idea of the size of it, there's actually a person uh, standing on it on the right-hand side. And I'm going to use my pointer from time to time to show that. Uh, and there's the person. So it's actually a little larger than what it appears to be. Uh, a guy who I think you've had on your show before, but I'm not certain, Brent Rains is standing in front of this mound. Uh, it's called the Sellers Mound in Tennessee. And it is a site that has over 50 mounds at it. And that's mm. one of the things I really want to stress here. A lot of these sites aren't, it's not just a single mound out in the middle of nowhere. Many of these sites have literally hundreds of mounds. Most of them probably have 20, 30, 40, 50 mounds, but people think of uh, Indian mounds like a lone mound out there that had a burial in it, but it, it's not that way. There are these gigantic complexes that were built. Uh, the Smithsonian will show you their actual map that they made back in the middle 1800s. The Smithsonian found 100,000 mound sites and mound complexes. Uh, wow. So some of them are gigantic. Uh, here's another mound. Uh, it's called the Reynolds Mound. This is an Adena-era mound. It's probably got a uh, burial at its base. And this is, a what again, what most people think of an Indian mound. Uh, it's like a conical mound. And they think that what they did was just put the body, laid the body on the ground, started covering. That is not the case, as we'll see here very shortly. Uh, another mound, very simple one. Uh, this is a so flat top. quick yeah. question, real quick. What would Absolutely. be the the, the fun? And I don't want to jump ahead if you're going to no, describe this later. But what would be the function of one of the mounds that would not be a burial mound? Well, you're looking at one right now, Osier Mound at Pinson, Tennessee. Uh, this is actually the oldest platform mound uh, known in North America. Uh, they would build a temple on the top, a building, a structure, a temple or a house for a chief. And as we'll, we'll get to a point where we talk about this in more detail, people think it might have been a small hut up there. No, this is a very large mound, as you can tell by the trees on it. Hmm. Some of the buildings that were erected on the top of these platform mounds had walls 50 feet high, a wow. five, like a five-story building. In, in one case, there's a mound that's 100 foot tall that I'll show you here in a minute, Monk's Mound in Cahokia, Illinois. Yeah, that's not far from me. It's a, right, right, okay. It's 100 feet tall. On the top was a gigantic building that had walls 50 feet in height. To give you an idea of the size of the building, well, in 1987, over 5,000 people 
gathered on the top of that mound where the temple was. Hmm. So we're talking about very, very large structures here. They are not small structures. Uh, this is a uh, another large mound. This is in Little Rock called the Toltec site. I'll show some of those later. Uh, and I'm just kind of going through them. Here's an example of a, of a temple. The temples, uh, this is a reconstructed temple at Angel Mounds in Indiana. Uh, the Angel Mound site is huge. Uh, it is um, a National Historic Site. It's a state park. Very impressive site. Uh, these temples that they make, we are not able today to construct a 50, a, a, a walled temple that has 50 foot high uh, outer walls simply because we we don't know how to build that out of uh, just wood and rope and so on. Yeah, so, so how did they, they do it? Were they using moments. like really tall trees and just a ton of yes, them? Yes, okay. absolutely. Keep in mind now that when the first settlers came in, what they found are woods that are very different than what we see today. There aren't many places left that have um, uncut timberland. And what they had were these gigantic trees that created so much overhead coverage that the smaller brush and so on had had no sunlight. Hmm. So there was nothing that could grow under these giant trees. And the trees got so large, they sucked all the water out. So not a lot could grow under them. So it was relatively easy for people to pass through these forest lands. Now, I've said before that uh, many times, uh, and even on your show, that the whole of North America wasn't just forest land. And we'll get to that in a minute because there were a lot of people living were here. Were some of these areas where the mounds are, because they're obviously clearings, were those cleared afterwards or yep. were they cleared and then the wood was used to make these walls? Well, they came in. And they would clear enormous areas of, of trees. And they actually were very good at burning. Uh, they burned uh, all the foliage down. These mound complexes did not have trees in them. The mound complexes were made as flat as possible. They removed all the foliage except for grass. Uh, and we know this for certain. And we'll show some of, of what they really probably looked like at the time. That's a hard day's work right there. Yeah, doesn't now, yeah. wet wood burn a lot hotter, too, if you get it going? Uh, it would, but burning is uh, very good for, uh, actually, it helps grow back a lot of, um, uh, like, berry trees, uh, mm. berry plants. They could replant different kinds of trees that they wanted uh, and to get rid of all the small brush. They burned regularly. In fact, there are areas in the country that still burn regularly. Uh, one is in Arkansas near, all, near a lot of the mound sites that I'm showing. We go in there regularly when they're burning, and they're just doing what the Native Americans did. In fact, if you ask the Park Service people that are doing the actual burning, they'll tell you we're just doing exactly what the Native Americans did. Hmm. So it, it's not as... Uh, that the mounds are not what most people expect. If you look at the, the one that I'm showing, Moundville, Alabama here, that is a 60-some foot high mound. It had a temple on the top. I think it's 68 feet tall. There is a person walking up that ramp. It's so small you can't see the guy. Mm. That is gigantic. Monster. Yes, it's very, very big. There are also stone mounds. 
this particular area where this stone mound is uh, near Oxford, Alabama, which is also near Anniston and old Fort McClellan, uh, there are literally thousands of stone mounds there. It, this is six, six foot high. And it's actually very, very large. Uh, and of course, Monk's Mound, Cahokia, Illinois, 10-story building, uh, has a mysterious stone structure in its base. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. And almost everybody knows that the mound builders built effigy mounds, and Serpent Mound is the most famous of those. But of course, there are thousands of effigy mounds and an effigy mound is a mound that is built to mimic or look like some sort of animal so they would be snakes and bears and turtles some of them were people there's one called man mound that's in wisconsin uh several of people some of many of birds and we'll see more. And a lot of them are associated with uh constellations correct Oh, yeah, yeah, and I'll show you some of those uh, as we go along here. So I've told the story, I think, before. I, I think I told it on your show of how we got involved in mounds. It began in 1983. Uh, my wife and I had a series of dreams. Have I told uh, that story? I think you might have. I think I did. We'll Lightly touched. Too, yeah, yeah, refresh yeah, your memory. You don't have to go on the whole well, thing, but just a little brief right, summary. When, I had finished uh, my first book, finished writing it, the manuscript called The Archetype Experience, and it was sending it off to publishers. Uh, my background is in psychology. I was professionally employed at the time, but I was kind of wondering, what am I going to write about next? And all of a sudden, I started having these dreams, and the dreams were about Indian mounds. And I found myself standing on a mound in the dream, standing on a mound with a camera. And I took pictures, and then suddenly I'd be in another mound. And I took pictures and another and another and another. And this went on. And I kept waking up through the night. What is this? What is this? These dreams, it became a recurring dream. I had it night after night after night. I believe it was almost 10 nights in a row. Uh, my wife is telling me it's more like seven in a row. But I realized I need to do something. So we visited a site. And after we visited the site, and I'll show you the site in a moment, um, I suddenly realized I need to put together a pictorial book of all known mound sites in America. At the time, I knew nothing about Indian mounds. I knew nothing about Native American history. Uh, none of it was taught in high school or elementary school or college. I didn't know any of it. Nothing. So that's how I got involved in this. So we visited this site called Chukalisa. Chukalisa means abandoned village. And what you see here is the way up until 1990, how mounds displayed Native American skeletons in situ. So what they would do back then is they would dig into a burial mound and uncover the skeletons and leave them in place. And then people could walk through and look at these remains. And I got quite a few photos of these. This is now illegal. In mm. fact, they've had to recover this site at Chukalisa. Uh, they've had to recover it at almost everywhere else. Moundville, Alabama had it. There were probably 50 places and 50 museums in America where skeletons could be viewed this way, but you can't do that anymore. Yes. Yeah, so how, how do they, you know, 
I would assume these are obviously sacred sites and Native American yes. sites and burial, you know, sites. How were they able to early on? Was it not like a law or did they just it? Like, didn't the Smithsonian go in and uh, excavate bodies? Yes, and, and so we'll like, see some of those. So, so the, what was the deal then? Like, how were they able to do that? There just wasn't the laws in place yet? or There were no laws in place. People could dig into mounds willy-nilly. Uh, they could go out and pretty much do whatever they wanted to them. And slowly the laws were changed. Uh, Native Americans became very upset at the the skeletal remains of their ancestors being displayed. In As addition, they should be. Yes. Uh, imagine, imagine if somebody bought uh, the cemetery where your parents and grandparents are buried uh, and they went in and they uncovered all of the skeletal remains in the cemetery and covered it up and then charged people admission to walk through and look at all the bodies and the artifacts buried with the bodies. Hmm. Imagine Sad. that. That's, yeah, I know. We would go crazy. We would say, hey, you can't do that. That's not right. I mean, they still do it to a certain extent if you look at, I mean, ancient Egypt. I mean, I oh, assume yeah. there's probably people that are like, well, why is this allowed? But, I mean, it's a, it's... I don't know how it's any different other than the fact that it's way older, probably. Yeah, I don't think it's any different at all. I just think that uh, from here, I just know that here in America, the Native Americans, rightfully, they had they had support from many people, uh, went in front of Congress, argued, and there was a law in both 1989 and 1990 that was passed. One applied to the Smithsonian, the other applied to everybody else. It's called NAGPRA, N-A-G-P-R-A, Native American Grave Protection and Repatriation Act, where all of these remains had to either be reburied or sent back to the tribes for repatriation. Well, so, it's good that we got yeah. that in place and we can preserve everything yep. and preserve Absolutely. the traditions and the histories. So the the first thing that emerged was this book, People of the Web. This was uh, came out in 1990. My wife and I started visiting mounds. Then we did a book on mound builders and Edgar Casey. Uh, Edgar Casey gave uh, 68 readings that involved Indian mounds and Native Americans. So we investigated that. Uh, I have a question. And, the the people yes, of the the web um, is, yes. is oh, I yeah. assume that's I haven't read that one yet of yours. Is that as associated with uh, Native American mythology, because yes. the reason why I ask is, is there any correlation to like Indra's net or Indra's web and any of like the metaphysics no. of that? No, okay, I was just Not curious. to my knowledge. The, the idea of the web in this, okay, it goes back to a statement by Chief Seattle, uh, and the statement is pretty simple. It is that uh, reality and the spiritual world is like the web of a spider, and if you pull on any portion of the web of a spider, it, that web, everything is affected by it. Everything moves. All things are connected were the last words uh, in Chief Seattle's statement. So all things are connected, and that is what People of the Web is about. And actually, that is the central focus of this new book Andrew Collins and I have just finished. Uh, off to the publisher... And it'll be out sometime in 2021, although we're not sure. But that's really the focus of it. What does that mean? Uh, and what does it mean about the ancient world? So, but I don't cool. really yeah, look talk forward about to that. that much. But that's what the web was. And now everybody today says, oh, that's about the Internet. People that are on <laughs> the Internet. Everybody says that. But that was done before the Internet really existed. 
Uh, Maybe the they'll internet. think it, it it is about that, and they'll read it and realize, and it'll be a paradigm shifting yeah. uh, read for them. There, <laughs> that's a pretty good <laughs> maybe. But I have had people say, "Oh, that's about the internet," and all I do is shake my head. And of course, I did that mound encyclopedia. There's long stories with that too. Uh, and I started doing a series of books on mounds within given states. Uh, that's the one in Alabama, which I abandoned doing it because I simply cannot sell enough to justify all of the work it takes to put a color book of mounds about each state together. Sure. And then the Path of Souls, which I believe we'll talk about some of the concepts in the Path of Souls and at the end of this uh, for your patrons. So we'll awesome. we'll get to that later. The story really starts in 1492 when Columbus uh, sailed the ocean blue and discovered America. Now, go, Colum- yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. here we go. Uh, Columbus made four trips over 12 years, but he never touched North America. Most people don't know that. He got into the Bahamas. He got to Cuba. He got in the Caribbean. Uh, he landed a couple times in South America, but not in North America ever. And we and course, we talked about that when you were on, I think, the yes. Denisovan origins, how yeah. South American history teachers and, and the way they teach the, yep. the people in South America is that obviously Columbus was so much later than all the yes. you know New World discoveries by the native peoples and the people coming from uh, the Pacific and Beringia and all that. So Absolutely. Well, when Columbus landed... He found what he called Indians, indigenous people, and he called them Indians because this was the West Indies. It was the western part of the shores of India, so he called them Indians, and the Indians were very nice to the new visitors, which was a major mistake, obviously. Right. Uh, yeah. And But like I said, he didn't make it to North America, but what did happen was in the very early 1500s, the Spanish started visiting North America. They were slave traders, and they were seeking gold. They had heard rumors about gold to the north. And when they when they got into North America, mainly in Florida, they were fought by the natives. The natives tried to drive them off. But almost immediately, when they got on land, they started spreading disease, and disease becomes a really important part of this. Some of the first natives that were encountered are called the Tamukuans, the Tamukuans were around Florida, uh, up and down the coast of Florida. Uh, and I'm showing a picture here that is actually on the dome of the Capitol building uh, in Washington. And it shows a Tamukuan um, warrior off to the right there. And he looks very tall because he is. The Tamukuans were generally about six and a half to seven and a half feet tall. There are many, many documented stories about this. Uh, there are lots of illustrations from the uh, 1500s made by the Spanish chronicler showing the Tamukuans that are towering over the Spanish. Uh, now, we know the tallest were usually the chiefs of the tribes or they were the elite members of society. My wife and I actually went to a Tamukuan um, museum on Amelia Island, uh, Florida, which is near Jackson. I've been there, yeah. I've, okay. I've actually been to vacation. I, you can ride your bike around the whole island. It's pretty yes, small. Yes, you can. Uh, yes. There's a fort there, an old an old fort, very cool to go to. Uh, we walked around there, and there are people, reenactors in the fort that do not get out of character. 
Mm. Uh, it's very, very cool. That's off the coast of Jacksonville, correct? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, my wife and I, when we went through the museum, we didn't we didn't ask a single question, but they showed some of the pictures or illustrations the Spanish had made of the Tamukians being seven to eight feet tall. And the docent who was giving the talk actually said, well, we know these are that these depictions of them being so tall are actually exaggerations. And what they did is they put their hair up into uh, straight up into like a honeycomb. So it looked like they were taller, but they were actually were no taller than the Spanish. And he said that almost without anybody asking, just saying this is all exaggerations. And of course, the Smithsonian today says there were no tall people in the America. They even deny the 17 reports. Well, but in don't people publications. don't people go crazy with it, though, and they start talking about like Nephilim and huge yep. people, 20 feet. You know, they get crazy yep. with it. And, and I've always problem. thought that if we have seven, eight foot people today, why would it be any different in the ancient world? Right. Well, you're right. It's the exaggerations of the very, very tall ones, the 20-footers, 12-footers. Those are all exaggerations. I can say this uh, very authoritatively. The tallest skeleton verified that we know that was removed from North America by, by archaeologists or examined by them is about 8 feet in height, maybe 8 feet 4 inches or so. That is the maximum. There are many that are seven feet, quite a few that are seven and a half feet. Right. There are there are loads that are between six and seven feet tall, just like there's loads of people today that are over six feet tall. Mm -hmm. So what happened in the Americas, here's, here's what really occurred that caused the problem. In 1539, Hernando de Soto started a three-year expedition in North America. De Soto had been um, in with Pizarro, and he learned how to deal with the natives, basically by lying to them, pretending to be their friend, uh, and then taking the chief captive and uh, chaining the chief and having a sword by his neck. And that's what controlled the populace then. They really didn't know what to do. So Very that's how dude. he controlled Yep. Yeah, you got to, well, hopefully, yeah. hopefully karma got him. Uh, well, DeSoto landed in Tampa Bay. This is uh, this this picture was made by archaeologists to show the actual mound site where DeSoto landed in Tampa Bay. And what you can see here, I'm going to move my little pointer around in the far upper right hand side is a relatively small temple mound, and of course you have waterways here. And these are shell mounds. Uh, and notice you have levels here. Flat areas, very well made. This is the way it was in fourteen, in 1539. There were hundreds of these along coastal Florida. DeSoto's expedition, There's a. am showing a map here uh, of where DeSoto went. And he started down here in Tampa Bay in Florida, uh, moved north. You can see the names of a lot of the cities that he visited. Cities and towns, I'm calling them cities because some of them had up to 50,000 people in them. And he would move from one city, then he'd go through fields of corn, and in, in the case of uh, Florida, various fruits, and then he would get to another city and another town and another one and another one and go through these massive fields of corn. But he went through all of Georgia, then he went into 
South Carolina into North Carolina, sent an expedition up, way up North Carolina. They came back. Then he went through Tennessee, back into Georgia, through the middle of Alabama, through Mississippi, up into Tennessee, then over into Arkansas, Missouri, sent a group down into Louisiana, sent another group all the way over to Texas. Wow. group went clear to Texas and back. Here, DeSoto died when he was awaiting them on the Mississippi River. They dumped his body in the Mississippi. By that time, they were being attacked every day by large groups of natives. They floated down the Mississippi River, and then from there, they made their way back to, to Mexico Man. to join up with others. But they, they went back with nothing, but they were looking for gold. They got nothing, but what they did was spread disease everywhere. They went from town to town, taking people captive. Some got away, and they spread smallpox, typhoid, loads and loads of other diseases that the Native Americans had no resistance to at all. And we'll get to numbers in a second. But even DeSoto's chroniclers uh, noted lots of very tall natives. And in this illustration, you see the Spanish have actually aligned themselves with one tribe against another. And this did actually occur four or five times during his trip. One tribe would make friends with DeSoto's group, and they would help them attack the next tribe. And they say, they have gold. Help us attack them, and you can have all the gold. So what would happen is DeSoto would wipe out a tribe, and then the other one would split and get away. So they got to wipe out their enemies. Uh, and DeSoto wound up with nothing. But what you can see here in the forefront, very large people fighting the Spanish. But out here in the two tribes that are fighting, notice in the center, there is a extremely tall chief in the center on both sides. Yeah. You see the pointer there. Again, this is one of their illustrations. And the this was so accepted years ago. This is from a sixth grade Alabama civics book of DeSoto meeting Chief Tuscaloosa. And that's what Tuscaloosa, Alabama was named for. Both Tuscaloosa and his son, this is again in four Spanish chronicles, were seven and a half feet tall. And they were proportional in size. They were massive people, very powerful. Wow. I, I love showing this because it's about uh, two miles from where I am right now. Uh, DeSoto supposedly found the Mississippi River in Memphis at a place which used to be called DeSoto Mounds Park. And this is a illustration made from a lithograph that supposedly shows the Mississippi River to the right. And the Indians in their teepees, which they did not live in teepees. They had houses. It's just, it's disgusting uh, that they showed that. But this particular illustration was put on the back of a $500 bill. So I know both of you guys will get in your wallets right now. Everybody out <laughs> yeah, there. I got plenty of them. <laughs> yeah, pull out those $500 bills and have a look at the back of them. <laughs> uh, there actually are a lot of uh, old old currency notes that have Native American images on them. Those things are probably worth a bundle. Uh, it is. It's worth about $2,000. $500 bills is about $2,000. So I, I mean, this might sound like a stupid question because I don't, I mean, that's why we're doing this. I, don't, I would like to know more about the mounds and the Native Americans and all that. Is, 
was there any tribe that lived in teepees, or is that just a stereotype? That's, ceremonies, weren't that's they? gone. Uh, later, oh, I know they. Later. I know some peyote ceremonies I've seen right. indigenous people use them, but other than that, I don't know anything yes, about them. Yes, some did. the The tribes that lived in teepees were the plains tribes, the ones that lives in the plains. The Apache and the Sioux lived them. They didn't all use teepees. Sometimes they built permanent structures. But when they became nomadic, when the U.S. cavalry was chasing them, they needed to be able to move very quickly, to literally pick up stakes and go. Hmm. So a teepee was very easy to put up and, a, and very easy to take down, and they could move very quickly. But yes, they did. But in the eastern half of the United States, they did not live in teepee. They lived in thatched huts, like I'm showing right now in this illustration. Gotcha. They built fortresses. They were permanent. They would stay in an area till there were basically no more trees left. Uh, and we know this. And also, uh, they would use the resources. They didn't believe in owning land. They believed in sharing the land. You use the resources. When you're ready to move on, you move on. And you can come back a few years later, and everything's grown back. And you've got more resources then to use again and again. Now, I'm showing this because it comes out of mainstream archaeology. Mainstream archaeology believes there were at least 57 million people living in the Americas when Columbus arrived. Let me say that again, 57 million. Now, this is back from the 1990s when this was made. Uh, now they're pushing it up to the upper estimate, which is on the bottom of this archaeology graph here, where it says 112 million. They're now thinking it was more like 100 million people. They know, for example, that at the time of Columbus, the Inca had a standing army of three million male warriors, just a standing army of three million in the Inca lands alone. Wow. I mean, it's, it's just astonishing when you think about it. So when the settlers came in, they found mounds and earthworks everywhere. And I'm going to show you in a minute what they looked like when they first saw them. Uh, and I want to show, just go through a few uh, the, a conical burial mound. This is in Pinson, Tennessee. Uh, to show you the size of this structure, it is massive. Uh, those are three people standing uh, wow. at the base. There's three people at the base. Uh, it is a massive mound. It's a complex of mounds. This one is in the center, and then there are mounds all around the perimeter. Here is a great example from uh, another mound of a truncated pyramid. Truncated means flat top. Uh, this is the smallest mound at Etowah, Georgia. And the picture uh, that I took of this, this was back in the 80s when we took this, was taken from this large mound at Etowah, Georgia. And you can see a large group of people walking up this mound. That gives you an idea of its size. On the top of it would have been a gigantic temple. For the, the, the largest ones were usually for the chiefs. We know that, too. I want to show you uh, a few reconstructions and then what's really there. This is Town Creek, North Carolina. Um, this reconstruction was made by um, an archaeologist who was also an artist that I commissioned to make a whole series of these for my mound encyclopedia. So the mound encyclopedia has... I don't remember the number. I want to say it's 70-some of these in it. Uh, and this town creek was a walled fortress. 
and you can see these this outer wall and it looks like it's solid and it was it was made out of a palisade wood palisade or log wall that was then smeared with daub which is a type of clay that hardens into a hard wall and it wouldn't burn then if you shot arrows that were burning had fire on the end well you could burn down a wooden wall but the clay won't burn that's why they often covered them with clay or daub is what they they called it so you see a lot of people on facebook now making those like clay ovens in their backyards from oh yeah Yeah, pizza and stuff yeah very cool yeah so what it really looks like is this uh, that is my wife standing in front of the, uh, whoop, didn't want to go there. Went too far. Sorry about that. I moved it. Right. Shouldn't do that. You're fine. Uh, all right. So this is the actual reconstructed mound. Behind it, you can see they tried to do the daub. They showed the palisade that they built, and then they showed the daub on it. Uh, not very good reconstruction, but this gives you an idea of what they look like. Very, very straight walls. Um, there's always a ramp up to it. And then this has a relatively small temple built on the top. Uh, another, can't believe I did that. Do you think that that's like a lost technology in itself is the understanding of like soil and clay to that level? And didn't the Mayans, uh, create some sort of, um, uh, like fertilizer type soil, like from like different minerals and stuff like that they don't understand? They did. The the, peop, the most recent thing with that is in South America in the Amazon, they found, and I'll actually show you some of these areas where they did it. Okay. They made a mixture of soil and fertilizer that was incredibly fertile, uh, that they could have like four growing seasons in it. Just astonishing how much they could grow with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even today... Um, the people are agronomists, I think that's how you say it, are just stunned at it. And the Maya did the same thing because the soil in some of these places uh, is not, the soil in Mexico is not real conducive in the Yucatan to growing things. Uh, It's just not, it has a, you go down very far uh, and you hit, you hit limestone and limestone, you can't grow things in limestone. So the actual surface area is not very deep. All right, so let's keep rolling here, show you another reconstruction. This is not too far from me here. It's in Holly Bluff, Mississippi, called Lake George. This is very typical. It was a 25-mound fortress. You have all of these large, flat-top mounds, uh, and then you have, it's, it's walled. It's a huge walled enclosure, a fortress. There were hundreds of these, hundreds, just in in like Tennessee alone and Mississippi alone. Wow. Uh, and people just don't know. This is what DeSoto went through and his chroniclers talked about it. This is one that's on the Natchez Trace. Uh, it's called Emerald Mound and it is a series of mounds built on top of a mound. So the first mound is an eight acre mound. It's the this large one. It's 770 feet by 435 feet, 35 feet tall. And then you have these eight mounds built on top of it. This temple mound up here is 30 feet in height. And it's 190 by 160 feet. And this area is perfectly flat. So let me show you this temple mound, what it looks like. It is this. 
that's the Temple Mound. You can see the flat area around it. So this is a mound built on top of a mound. Right. Here's another complex, Winterville, Mississippi, near the Mississippi River. 23-mound complex. The central mound is 55 feet high. Here it is. It's a very well-made pyramid. Uh, again, to show you the size, that is my wife standing right there. This gives you an wow. idea how large these mounds are. They're just not what people think they are. All right. So, and, of course, you have the effigy mounds. So because the Native Americans were wiped out, decimated by diseases, when the settlers started finding these mounds, which were then overgrown, they asked the few remaining Native Americans who built them. Now, these the few remaining Native Americans were mainly the young people. And they said, we don't know. They've always been there. And what happened then? A myth developed. And it was a myth of a lost tribe, lost race of mound builders. And this is where it became weird. This is where they, they thought, oh, maybe they are whites or something. But we know that 95% of the Native Americans were decimated. And this idea of a lost race became very popular in the 1800s. This is an actual poster from 1886 uh, talking about a lost race of mound builders. Uh, and this is actually in the museum in uh, Mount, Moundsville, West Virginia. So here's the actual Smithsonian map that's in a Bureau of Ethnology book. Uh, and it's a very large map. So I took it out of my copy of this book from 1877 and laid it out flat uh, and wound up scanning it. The red dots on this are mound complexes. They're not individual mounds. Uh, and this is a very huge map. They found 100,000 sites uh, in the mid-1800s. And you'll see most of the dots are along rivers. And the reason they're along rivers is because that's where all the surveyors and explorers went. That's what they used to travel. They went up and down the rivers and looked along the rivers for mounds. Uh, and if we actually put all the mounds that were in the U.S., that this would be almost solid. It's amazing almost how solid. many of the rivers connect to in different points, and you can oh, kind, yeah. kind of get the further. The Mississippi River Basin, I mean, it goes all the way to Pennsylvania. Right. So you got from New, New Orleans to Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's insanity. I, well, I mean, we grew up in Michigan, too, so, you know, even the Great yeah, Lakes, you can get, a, get around, yeah. So they were using uh, they were using these rivers, and that's where they built mounds, but mounds are really everywhere. All right, so where did mound building start? Well, it started in South America. Mound building is older in South America than it is in Egypt. The oldest mounds in Egypt date to about 3200 B.C., 3200 B.C. Mounds in North America are older than the oldest ones in Egypt. People think, you know, when you say, oh, the oldest, where are the oldest civilizations in the world? They immediately think of Egypt. Egypt's not even right. close anymore. Gobekli Tepe in Turkey uh, has a civilization. They just found back. a new one, too. Uh, did I you know. see that? Yeah. I know. Karahan Tepe, and yep. Andrew has been there. Uh, Andrew Collins says, I'll show you some photos of Andrew here in a bit. But the oldest mountain in North America and South America is in Bolivia, dates to 8400 BC. There are probably many more that are older than that, and there are hundreds in the same area where it is. And it actually looks a lot like 
what the settlers saw when they first encountered mounds here. It's totally overgrown. It's mm. called the Isla del Tesoro Mound in Bolivia. Uh, it's, a, it's a conical burial mound, or I'm sorry, a conical shell mound. Uh, not real high, about six feet high. But notice it's just totally overgrown. So people have gotten the idea that all of America's mounds, North America, are sort of like this. But they're not really. So let's go and look a more in a bit more in South America. Brazil has loads of these giant shell mounds that date to 8000 BC. And with the decimation of the Amazon forests, what is being uncovered now are literally thousands of geometric earthworks found under the Amazon rainforest that date back thousands of years. Go ahead. Is, is that something that can be found with LIDAR too? Because I know they've been finding more Mayan yes. sites with the LIDAR, but is that so they could, they could see that with the LIDAR then? Yep, they, but they see they weren't using LIDAR over the Amazon at the time. The only time these popped up, they're starting to use it now, but at the time they weren't doing it. They were using LIDAR uh, in in Central America, particularly in the Yucatan to look under the dense forest but these ones in South America only emerged after they started burning to create agricultural lands. And they have found now hundreds, well, literally thousands of these. One state called Acre, it's not really pronounced Acre, but it's spelled that way. It's Acre, I believe, uh, in Brazil. Uh, there's about 500 in that one state. But they're not just square. Uh, if you look at this one, it is a square that has four rather uniform pathways out of it on each side. Now, what is forming this are walls of earth. And you're going to see some of these in North America in a minute. The reason I'm showing them is because they're very similar to what you see in North America. Here is a, a square with a circle attached to it. Again, these are walls of earth that form them. Uh, these were... They, they know people lived in these areas. And by the way, they now know the Amazon, 2,000 years ago, the Amazon rainforest was a massive, dense bamboo forest. That is what it was, almost wow. solid bamboo. You really couldn't have even moved through it. So uh, in North America, right now, the oldest known mounds in North America are in Louisiana. Uh, there's one in Monte Sano in ba Baton Rouge that dates to about 4,000 B.C. There's been another one found that probably dates to about 4,300 B.C., but that's the oldest we know of. Is that and Poverty the, Point, or is that different? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Poverty okay. Point's not the oldest. These are, these are called archaic mounds. We're in the archaic era here. Uh, this is an example of archaic mounds. Only... One archaic mound has ever shown burials in it. That's the strange thing. Mm. They're not burial mounds. They look like burial mounds, but only one of them has ever shown a burial. All the others that have been excavated don't show. They show some artifacts. Uh, they show shell. I'll show you what the inside of one looks like in a minute. Isn't uh, is it LSU? There was a, a a college that just found more mounds or burials within on their actual campus that they're I don't know if they're going to excavate or what, but I yes. forget what college. It might have been LSU. I forget. It is LSU, oh, okay. uh, and I actually taught at LSU for about three years. 
Uh, and there are the LSU, LSU Shreveport, LSU uh, has a couple branches. All of the uh, campuses have mounds on them. There's just campus. There's just mounds everywhere there. Uh, so Louisiana was the center of the archaic period. And it day archaic goes from about the earliest or about 4400 BC to roughly 3000 BC. So that is the first mound building era in North America. And so for a while, starting in 1997, the oldest one was at this place called Watson Break. They took over 100, 100 uh, radiocarbon dates from the mounds here. Couldn't believe it. It dated to 3200 BC. It's a 22 acre circular enclosure made out of 11 mounds put on an elevated platform. And again, this is 5,200 years ago here in North America. It's an enigma. Nobody really knows who these people were. Incredible artifacts taken from it. Cubes, perfect cubes that were built, that were found, put together in an arrangement of cubes made out of cubes. <laughs> I don't really want to get into that, that book on Edgar Sounds Casey like they, they like you cubes. Get into it at one point. <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah, like well, they like I the mean, cubes. <laughs> well, think of it this way. It, it looked kind of like a uh, Rubik's Cube. You know how you have all oh, of the yeah, parts? Yeah. They build it like a, a cube, all these little cubes put together into a cube found in one of these mounds. And they look, they look like dice. They're very, very weird. Some of the other archaic sites are just incredible. Uh, this is called Big Tony Circle Mounds. Clewiston, Florida. I've been there. Uh, it is a massive site. And explaining the arrangement. See, it's in the, I've said that you, know, you really can't describe these things verbally. It can't be done. How would you describe this? Yeah, How would I, you describe it? It almost looks like a circuit board or something. I know, but this is a gigantic mound that is made. It's not just a mound. It is a, it is a complex of earthworks, raised circular platforms leading to rounded mounds that had edges on them, elevated edges, platforms connecting to more platforms. Very, very weird. Now, this is not even the weirdest one. It's just... It's just a strange one. Here's another one. This is in Placida, Florida. Uh, it's called Big City Mound. Again, uh, lots of raised platforms. This big C shape that you see here, that is an individual mound that is 23 feet high, covering 15 acres. And on top of it, Holy smokes. it had mounds built on top of it. And then there are these walkways, elevated walkways that led to mounds that had uh, sunken enclosures around them. That's a sunken enclosure that goes around this circular mound. And, and then how old another, are these? These uh, structures? these are archaic mounds. Go back to three thousand BC. Wow, it's <laughs> I mean, crazy. It's amazing. Yeah, it's in, it's in, there's nothing like this anywhere else in the ancient world. I've said many times, America had some of the weirdest and most impressive stuff anywhere in the ancient world. Is there it's any just, uh, is there any connection between the last two? They're both kind of similar in shape. They are. It's the same culture. Okay. Okay. It's the same. I'll show you another one. So would these would have been uh, the no. ancestors or predecessors to the Seminole Indians, or uh, they would have been the ancestors of the Seminoles. Yes. Okay. The ancestors, ancient and the Seminoles are historic. So you're talking about a 
4,500 year ancestry there going back yeah. that far. Wow. Okay. It's a long way. I know so, too, I wasn't know. there spec real quick, wasn't there speculation that maybe even the Mayans had moved up to oh, yes. su- Southern, um, United States area. Yep. We'll get to that in a, in just a minute, get into right. the next, uh, that, it remains controversial. Some people believe that they came into Georgia, uh, and others are pretty sure that they became the poverty point culture, gotcha. which we'll get to in a minute. Okay. I love these archaic mounds, though, because these are so old. Yeah. And who in the heck has ever seen this stuff? This illustration is almost identical to one the Smithsonian did. Um and it's 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 very very strange. It's called the Shield Site. Part of it still exists. This large square mound. It's a 215 foot perfect square, 18 feet high. Has a weird platform, circular platform off one end. And this these elongated earthworks that are walkways. They're elevated. They're a mile long, leading to a circular enclosure that is um, depressed in the center so then a mile back if you look at this it looks like a fish hook but it's actually a um, it is a walkway to get up it's a ramp to walk up and around and here is another ramp on this one to get up to the top very, very strange. I mean, these are very strange. Terracea Mound still exists. There's a, you go across the bridge and you get to it. There's a bridge uh, that's made, I think, right about here and the road goes through. I can't remember the the road, but I put this in the, the instructions in the Mound Encyclopedia. But it still exists. So what you have here is a 10-acre platform mound that is that was 20 feet. That We don't know how tall it was. Today, it's 20 feet high. Uh, Up here, I love to point out this mound because it looks like a guitar. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it looks exactly like a guitar. Yeah, it kind of does, yeah. I don't know what it is. Uh, It's just, these are just archaic mounds. Very strange. So if you take, it's like, if you look at this mound here and we were to slice it vertically, just cut it vertically and open it up, here's what they look like in the inside. And what that what you're looking at here are shell that has been packed with sand and in some cases clay and other dirt. But they're shell mounds, very densely packed so they wouldn't erode. That's and crazy. this is actually from a mound that is about six thousand or I'm sorry, five thousand years old. Uh, one of these archaic mounds in South Carolina. And then we get the poverty point. Poverty point. So archaeologists came from nowhere. And this illustration is as good as I can get to really explain it. There are, Poverty Point is a culture, and it's also a site. The site is in, is in uh, Louisiana, northeastern Louisiana, not too far from Monroe, Louisiana. The origin of it is unknown, but most archaeologists will tell you they believe it was probably an influence from Mexico. There's a lot of controversy over when it started. It's probably around the year 2500 B.C. Some portions of it are archaic, go back to 3800 B.C. or 5800 years ago. There is a massive bird effigy mound. Now, that's 700 feet long, this bird effigy in the 
uh, upper right hand corner is 700 and some feet long. So we're looking at something large. They built these walkways, flat walkways through it. These are astronomically aligned and they would put a large post here to for for whatever, who knows, for some sort of astronomical significance. There was a wood hinge in the center. These embankments here are terraces. It's a semi-octagonal embankment. They are all a uniform six feet high. The width of them from one side to another of each embankment is 80 feet. So it's six foot high, 80 feet wide. And then there's a 150 foot depression before you hit the next one that is six feet high, 80 feet wide. And another, again, another 100 feet to the next one, the next one, the next one. They are terraces, elevated terraces. They know that there were houses built on top of these terraces. Now, why? Who knows? They don't know how many people lived here, but it was a lot. Again, this goes back now. We're talking about 4,500 to 5,000 years ago. The amount of earth here, it's eight miles. If you add it up, there's eight miles of terraces, and it would fill 30 great pyramids. That's how much earth is used here. Again, just came from nowhere. Nobody really knows where this came from. This is what I had to put two pictures together here. This is what Poverty Point looked like, the the bird effigy back in, um, see, 1985. It was covered with trees. Uh, Today, they have totally taken every tree and every blade of grass off of it so you can see it. Uh, and so they could fix the um, erosion on it. Uh, I don't really like to show it. I have seen it and taken pictures of the it. The one in Bolivia that you said was like 8,400 years 8,400. old. Uh, yep. How come they didn't haven't cleared the trees, or is it, you know, for... Well, they have started. They did coring in it. They uh, There's so much work that hasn't been done, Then what they're doing right now is trying to identify the archaeological sites. Gotcha. Uh, and then they identify because again it's all covered everything is covered right uh so they are trying to find the i think what they're really looking for are the oldest sites in south america uh the oldest mound building sites anyway so let's move on and we're getting to adena mounds adena is an era uh, okay. it's named after the uh adena plantation in ohio dates to about 1500 200 built these huge Huge conical mounds. They put moats around them. Uh, stone tombs, stone chambers on the inside. We'll see some of those in a minute. And very similar to what you'd think you'd see in England. Uh, they had this uh, circular, linear earthworks. Lots of seven-foot skeletons. Back in 2014, Andrew and I came up with the Adena Elite Hypothesis, uh, which is the seven-footers that have been found in these tombs were the elite of the culture. Mainstream archeologists now use that term. Uh, They also build a lot of stone forts and enclosures. So an Adena mound, a good example, the Miamisburg mound, this thing's huge, it's 68 feet tall. 
And it was originally covered with stone slabs. The whole mound was covered with stone. All those stone were uh, basically stolen uh, and used for houses uh, in the town of Miamisburg. I don't know if you can see this very well, but I do want to show it quickly. This is uh, Marietta, Ohio. And the Ohio River, this is being seen from a site high above the river. This is the Ohio River. This is the Scioto River. Uh, and here is a mound enclosure and earthworks. You can see a square there, another square. And right here is a large circular mound called the Conus Mound. And this is the Conus Mound today. Uh, it's 30 feet high, and it is encircled by a moat. Here is the moat. This is just to give you an example of what some of these look like. It's not uh -huh. the largest one in the country that way. Uh, if we can go back to that illustration quickly, uh, there was a straight line of earth that led to the Conus Mound. Uh, and to go one further here, this is the uh, linear line to it. It's now a cemetery there. Yeah. And this is the Smithsonian's. This is the Smithsonian survey of the site. This is the Conus Mound right here. Uh, there were all of these mounds. Two of these still exist. Two of these flat top mounds still exist. Square enclosures made out of earth, and I'll show you what some of these look like at some point. But there are lots of these. I show a couple others. A lot of them had circular earthworks. Uh, massive site, uh, lots of circular earthworks. These are all large burial mounds. These little circles with the lines coming down. These are circular enclosures made of an exterior wall of earth that has a moat around it. Inside some of the burial mounds were tombs, stone tombs. Look very similar to what you see in England. And some of them are exceedingly well built. These are Adena era mounds that were made uh, in mounds in Missouri that were uncovered. Smithsonian uncovered around 100 of these in one farm in Missouri called the Hunter Farms, which is my wife's maiden name, and they own farmland in Missouri. And yes, it, some of this was their family farmland done by the Smithsonian way back when. But these are this this. Dry masonry is incredible, actually. It's amazing how good it is. Uh, I want to show this site. Again, any questions, throw them out, guys. Moundsville, sure. West Virginia. There were 100 mounds originally in the immediate area. They had stone towers built there. Stone towers some 30 feet tall. Now, this is a map of the area and survey. So I'm going to, I have to use the pointer to show you some of this. Sure. Modern Moundsville is right in this area along the Ohio river. This is the Ohio river running right through the center and where it curves North is where modern Moundsville is. There's a large, what they have here is called the large mound. Um, this is the large mound. It's called the Grave Creek Mound because there's a little creek that runs into the Ohio there called Grave Creek. It's 69 feet tall. It had a moat around it. Again, there were a hundred over 100 other mounds and an octagonal earthwork there. So you look here and you see, see this lookout right here? It says lookout. Here's another lookout, which these are high mountains around 
uh, Moundsville. On the other side of the river, there's a lookout. There's a lookout. So what these are are the stone towers, and they were used as places that could watch the river for people moving up and down the river. So they were defensive sites. Here's the only known illustration of one of the lookouts. It came from 1830. Uh, Henry, it's put in Henry Schoolcroft's Kraft's book. And you can see the remains of the tower that had collapsed there. If you look way down here on the right-hand middle, you see the Ohio River curving around. And there is the main mound. That's the large mound. So this just gives you an idea of how these old illustrations tie into the new stuff. I wanted to show just a few more of these. These are Dena Mounds in, Dun in Gramercy Park in Dubuque, Illinois, called the Dunleith Mounds. Uh, there's 26 mounds there. Um, inside those mounds, they found skeletons that were arranged in a circular spoke-like configuration. Uh, some of them were seven feet in height. This uh, spoke-like configuration was actually found in many, many mounds. Skeletons put in a circle. This, these are in Miami County, Ohio. And this is weird because you've got 12 skeletons in a circle. All of the ones at the bottom had their heads on. <laughs> the ones at the three at the top had their heads severed and put between their legs. Wow. And yeah. I actually went back... And I measured these skeletons and found that the three with the severed heads were tall. They're all much taller than the others. I don't know if that made any difference or not, but I've always wondered about that. So let's go to South Charleston, West Virginia. Just to give you an idea of how many mounds. There were once 89 mounds uh, and earthworks right along South Charleston where the Kanawha River flows through. And lots of uh, giant, giant skeletons found here. This is the Creel Mound, 35 feet high. Um, a seven-footer was found in here. This is the downtown of South Charleston, shown from the top of that mound. Inside that mound, this is Somebody the asked, how many Moundsvilles are there? Is there more than one Moundsville out there? Yes, there's Moundsville, Moundsville West Virginia, Moundville. Uh, there are Moundvilles in uh, Louisiana and in Mississippi. Okay. Uh, I suspect they're in um, Tennessee. There's Mounds, Tennessee, a town called Mounds, Mounds in Arkansas, Louisiana. I mean, there's a Memphis in Texas, a Memphis in Louisiana. Right, and, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, they're all over the place. If you look at this illustration, this is another one uh, of a circular pattern found in the bottom of the Creel Mound, done by mainstream archaeologists. You have a seven-foot skeleton in the center, and then you have all of these other skeletons arranged around it. What does it mean? Nobody knows. So was like uh, height like a big thing then, obviously, with, with the Native American culture? Like the taller you were, the more maybe... Uh, respect you can uh, sub something along those lines or probably well think of uh, uh, the Philistines who was their greatest warrior the Philistines going the back Goliath. to biblical times that's right what was Goliath's height do you know that offhand approximately I, I don't it was over 8 feet it was oh, almost wow. 8 feet 11 is supposedly what it was 
and he was the big warrior of the Philistines. And in, in these warrior societies, uh, the main warrior was an elite person. That, that we know. But the, the problem with the Native Americans and these tall ones is there's too many of them. Is statistically uh-huh. speaking, there are way too many of these tall skeletons for the population known at the time. The Smithsonian recovered only about 10,000 skeletons during their dig, but they found over 17 tall seven footers to eight footers. Do you think maybe pop- like a natural lifestyle living off the land? You grow, no. maybe people grew differently, nope. you know? No, we think they were. That's what Denisovan origins is about. We think it was they were a different genetic lineage that were killed out. And there's a history that I'll get to in a minute. Uh, the Susquehannock tribe of Pennsylvania, uh, in Pennsylvania, New York, they were all very tall. They were exterminated literally in the 1700s deliberately because their warriors were seven feet tall. They were feared by the Iroquois and everybody else because they were so violent and such good warriors. Wow. So we think it was a genetic lineage, probably went to the Denisovans. That's what we believe. And there's really good evidence for that. So let's skip around a bit. Uh, This is an Adena fort. Uh, It's called Fort Hill, Ohio. Dates to 300 B.C., uh, it and this is an area, so it's a survey showing an inner area of 48 acres. It's at the top of a mountain, very steep mountain. So there were walls built around this mountain. Some of the walls are 50 feet high. Jeez, 50 feet high. Uh, they run one and a half miles around it. There are gaps in the walls. There's exactly 33 gaps. Uh, which the gaps have created a conundrum. You don't make a fort that has that many gaps in it. That is very clearly an issue. Here's another one, Fortified Hill, Ohio. 16-acre enclosure, outer walls. These are, And you can see there's some really weird uh, ways in and out through these outer walls. It's just very strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are 20 Adena forts running along a line that goes through southern Illinois and Indiana. Uh, And these fortresses appear to be a defensive line, and we know there were some wars going on uh, among Native Americans. Uh, What are your thoughts about what the gaps are? um, In this one, this one I think really was a fort. The other gaps, we, we know what some of them were used for. For example... Uh, there's a, this is uh, called Fort Ancient, very famous, got a big museum at it. Uh, these outer walls are 18,000 feet long, 18,000 feet. The walls go from four to 23 feet high. There are lots of mounds there, but there are 80 gaps in these walls. So you see that it's very impressive when you see these gaps. So recent work done since these surveys were made have uncovered stone platforms in these areas in the center areas and the stone platforms were used as sighting areas to look through the gaps so you'd like make a straight line through here and look at the horizon all of these forts are built at the top of mountains you can't tell it looks like flat land around it's not it's a steep mountain 
and these outer walls follow the contours of the top of the mountain. And then they flattened off whatever was sticking up. They flattened it off in the interior. So it was used for astronomical observations, but probably also at times as a defensive fortress. So what do they look like? The walls. This is one in Berea, Kentucky. Uh, Andrew Collins and I went there a few years ago. The walls are these walls are made out of earth and stone, 20 to 30 feet in width. So a wall 20 to 30 feet wide, 20 to 25 feet high. This gap was cut by a by a logging crew so they could log this mountain. And what you really see, if you move away, if you take away the earth that is covering it and all the leaves, here's what you see. They had these massive piles of rock that they had cut. Very nice blocks and so on that they piled in there together. So that's what you see on the interior of these. There are many of these around. This is one in Georgia, Fort Fort Mountain, Georgia. 900 foot long wall. This one was, they, these stones are 3 to 10 feet high, 5 to 16 feet wide. And this one was probably used to put a palisade wall in it. Still exists. You can go there. It's it remains a mystery. It's, it's very mysterious. Again, more of the walls there. Is there? Uh, this, do you think? Uh, I mean, obviously, we've cultivated a lot of land in America now, and there's a lot of farms and different. But do you think that there's still a lot of sites to be found in uh, yeah. North America? Yes. Uh, what we got into with Alabama when we took a look at Alabama and went in, uh, we went in an archaeologist, uh, the uh, chairperson of the archaeology department at Jacksonville State University took us around after I found out about his work. Uh, and he's working in the mountains around Anniston and Jacksonville, Alabama, and in uh, Fort McClellan, which Fort McClellan has recently been closed and made accessible to him. And he has found five to 6,000 stone mounds in that area, all of which were previously unknown, as well as stone effigy mounds. And yeah, somebody knows, mentioned Beaver Lake, Arkansas. Uh, as, uh, don't know that. Yeah. Know. Okay. There are lots of mounds in private land and on mountains that have never been cataloged. In Alabama, uh, surveys done, you know, it's like when they went in, out, parts of Alabama are very, very remote because they flood. They're not areas that are regularly farmed and they flood. So when they built like the Tom Bigby waterway, the 10 Tom, it's called Tennessee Tom Bigby, uh, they went in and did, the TVA went in and did surveys. They found about 5,000 mounds they didn't even know about that mm -hmm. nobody had ever discovered along the 10 Tom. So, because they had to do an archaeological survey, and these were made of these were mound complexes of 200, 250 mounds per complex that no one had ever gone and looked at. So, yeah, there's lots of them. Uh, this is where the Susquehannock Village was. Uh, they were exterminated in 1778. Uh, at the top, giant skeletons were found here. This is in Pennsylvania and, and New York. Um, so that leads us to the Hopewell. I'm going to whip through them quickly, 500 to 1,200. The Hopewell are the ones that built effigy mounds. This is a stone effigy made out of white quartz. Uh, it's in Georgia. Uh, it's 10 feet tall in the center, 120-foot wingspan. There are dozens of these stone effigy mounds. One place in Ohio has 10,000 effigy mounds, just in this one spot 
I'm sorry, you know, Iowa, one spot in Iowa, 10,000 masks. Wow. Alone. All right, so here is a so the illustration of the stone effigy mound found near Fort McClellan in Alabama by the archaeologist. It's very, very large. It's right at the top of a mountain. Some of the stone mounds there, this is a picture of one of them there. Again, there's thousands of them. I'm going to skip through a few more. Of course, okay. the the serpent mound uh, is a classic. Yeah, classic mound. This is taken from the uh, top of the tower there. It show it is an effigy mound of an encoiling snake. It is a Hopewell era effigy. This is the original Hopewell site. If you if you look at this uh, survey. There's 111 acres on the inside of this enclosure. The enclosure is made of a high wall of earth. There's a There was a square enclosure leading into this one. If you look at this area, this is a C-shaped enclosure made out of walls of earth. And inside, there were seven mounds. Uh, that is believed to be the Pleiades. Hmm. I don't know if it is or not. I don't know what it means. Uh, these are all large mounds inside of the enclosure it is on it was at the hopewell plantation near chillicothe ohio uh, and it was owned by uh, one of the governors of ohio totally uh, decimated by excavations but this is how hopewell got its name and where it got its name other hopewell sites are made of squares and, and circles there are some of these in england and as i've already shown you some of these are in uh, South uh, South America, very interesting. And uh, just a summary, just a few of them. All of these are surveys of massive sites, twenty to fifty acres, loads of these scattered uh, throughout Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, all the way down into parts of Tennessee. The granddaddy of them all, Newark, Ohio, which many times I've tried to describe on radio shows and verbally can't really be done there is a circle and square up here or a circle and octagon up here in the left hand corner uh, the circle encloses 20 acres the square encloses or octagon encloses 50 acres then there are these uniform walkways that are enclosed by linear lines of earth that go to squares and then more circular formations. This one over here is called the Fairground Square. It encloses 30 acres. It is identical in size to Avebury in England. It has an, has an outer wall of earth nine feet, nine to 14 feet high. Wow. And then it has an inner moat, which we'll, I'll show you in a moment, some photos of it. Uh, there is a eagle effigy right in the exact middle of it only one way in and out most of this stuff up in this area in the upper right hand corner is destroyed all of these walkways are destroyed part of this walkway remains this walkway has become known as the great hopewell road it is 56 miles long wow it goes to... That's what somebody was just mentioning. They were asking about the, the Great Hope yeah, Road. 56 miles long, and it connects to an almost identical circle and octagon. We'll show that in a bit. But oh, the how accessible are they? Is, is that one? 
Uh, this is a golf course. Oh, <laughs> of course. Oh. It is, in, and I'm glad it's in pristine condition. Yeah, I guess that's, that's one a... of the things they had to do was to keep it in pristine condition. The circle over here remains. It it was so it's so difficult to get in through anywhere except this one entryway. They used to hold the Ohio State Fair in it. It's called the fairgrounds. Wow. Because there's only one way in and out and it's big enough to have the entire fair in it for the whole state. That's how big these things are. That's crazy. So it's this remains there and this it is incredible. So I want to show you over here in the far left hand side a little tiny piece of the circle. It has what's called the observatory mound. And this is the observatory mound. So it's 14 feet in height, and this is part of the circle then beginning. This is what it looked like in the 1930s. Down here is the observatory mound in the 1930s. And I've licensed this photo from the Ohio Historical Society. You can see the outer walls of Earth going around the circle. Perfect circle, 20 acres. You can see the golf course. They had just, it's, not, it's not very developed at the time, but there it is. And then it connects perfect straight lines of Earth, and then it creates an octagon of lines of Earth. Here's the octagon enclosing 50 acres. You can't see very well here, but inside the octagon, at each point where it comes together, there is a truncated mound right there, a small pyramid mound. Here's another truncated mound. There is another one right there. And there, it has a tree on top of it. Yeah. All right. Let's see if I can keep going here. All right. So today, here's what it looks like from Google Earth. Wow. It's very difficult to see, but here, here is the circle going around. There's the circle. It then connects to the octagon. There's the octagon. Or I can do this. There it is. This is the... This is the circle and octagon. Now, up here, I've made a mistake, and I should have extended the line out here. This I'm going to show you in a minute. This is a small circle outside the octagon. So this is where the octagon, the linear lines of Earth connect to the octagon. This part to the right is one of the truncated mounds. And here's a line going out for the octagon. There's another linear line of Earth, and you can barely see it going this way. So literally, you can play golf on the the yeah. earthworks that are there. Yeah, man, you tee off from a from a mound, man. It's That's a, it exactly. You tee. <laughs> in fact, the first time we took a large tour group, we had 104 people. The bus driver was an avid golfer, never been there, and he said, "This is incredible." And he ran in. And he made himself a tea time. He said, I've got to play this thing. He didn't even know it was there. And he lived there. Best he ground he ever played, man. He felt the vibes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Ah, uh, okay. So here is that little circle I showed you. It is a uh it's a hole. There's a it's a green. Uh, but this is a little circle. It's a tiny circle outside of the big square, just to show you how perfectly this is made. And so by putting a golf course there. They have maintained it in pristine condition. That's actually you, pretty can, smart. Can you go there and not play golf, though? Like, can yeah, you go and check out have, the... Yeah. Okay. Every time we've gone, we, we don't even make an appointment. You're supposed to make an appointment to go and walk it. But we didn't do that. We, we took 104 people. We just overwhelmed it. There was nothing they could do to stop us, and we went right. every... 
taking pictures in people's backswings and stuff. Well, yeah, uh, but they're kind of used to it. But they have a tower where you can see the circle and the octagon together. Uh, you, you know, you have to move quite a lot, and it would be a massive uh, uh, picture to take. But, uh, yes, you can go there. Yeah, there's something sad about it, but I guess it's good that they preserved it. Disrespectful, or what's your view on that? It is disrespectful, but I'm glad they did it because they've maintained, they've not allowed to dig into it, and they've kept it in pristine condition. There is a legal battle going on now. The Ohio Historical Society is trying to take it away, but I don't know what'll happen with it. So if we go back and we look at this great circle, which is right in the middle at the bottom. It's identical in size to Avebury. It has an eagle mound in the center. Uh, we took Andrew Collins to this. He was just amazed. Uh, the size of this, of this, sir, you could get eight Roman Colosseums inside the um, the circle. This twenty-acre circle in the wow. center. Large it is. Uh, we we figured out uh, the Great Pyramid. By the way, covers thirteen acres. So you could get eight great pyramids inside of the octagon. That is how large it is. It's just massive. So we're going to look at the, the Avebury circle, or the, the circle that looks like Avebury. This is it from the 1930s, again, an Ohio Historical Society photo. This is the one, you can't really see the one gap in it, but here is the outer wall of Earth, and you can just barely see the uh, moat on the inside. So here's the moat on the inside. The moat is seven feet deep. The outer wall is nine feet high. So this is what it looks like today. And you know this, the, it does, does fill it, with water when it rains, by the way. I was going to say, you know what I think about, too, when I see all this? is like they were altering the land and, and creating these these great you know earthworks and mounds and all this stuff. And... Uh, at some point population is going to get crazy and a lot of stuff is going to get probably built over, but then yep. that's going to happen to us too. And I look at Absolutely. what we're doing. We're not making the same mark. We could easily be erased from uh history of something like a cataclysm, uh, you know, another younger Dryas or impact event or something along those lines. You uh, are absolutely correct. Think of that show abandoned cities or abandoned yeah, spaces. Yeah. Uh, Detroit, actually, downtown Detroit has become sort of a wasteland. And all that will be overgrown and eventually collapse. And yes. So what was all this used for? I just, I'm going to finish up here within 10 yeah. minutes. And we'll, we'll finish this up. Uh, the circle and octagon were used to measure the moon's movements over 18.61 years. Uh, and this is a big focal point in the new book Andrew Collins and I have done. It perfectly predicts the eclipses and we know that some of the eclipses occurred right where you would look through the octagon the ohio historical society made this illustration of it to show the moon on one side but these were ways to measure the movements of the moon so let's look at the last major society of them the mississippian culture these were the very very large cities up to 50,000 people. They were who the Europeans found when they got here. They had chiefdoms, large, uh, huge mounds. This is the northernmost one, a survey. Aztalan, Wisconsin, there were over 60 mounds. They had a walled fortress that they built around it. Uh, this is a 
photo of what the largest mound looks today. And you can see they've tried to construct some of the wall around it. And of course, Cahokia, this is an illustration I licensed from Herb Rowe. Uh, it is very, very accurate. It shows Monk's Mound. And there were 120 mounds at Cahokia alone. Gigantic wall of logs that were about 30 feet high around Cahokia. And wow. of course, Monk's Mound is the largest. It covers 14 acres, 100 feet tall. Stone structure in it, never been discovered. Some of the artifacts that were made, effigy head pots. I love these things. Just show a few. Uh, these are uh, these are not uh, reproductions. These were all actually pulled out of mounds during excavations. Uh, this is a pipe, a stone pipe from Spiro, Oklahoma. Uh, how these piped, pipes worked, if you look at the back, the back, they would have the smoking bowl in the back. And this is where a long stem of a hollowed out uh, wooden stem would go so you could smoke. It's like an ancient it. bong that's a serious pipe. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> These things were huge. We're not talking about something a few inches high. These are the smoke. The pipes are about a foot to a foot and a half high. Yeah. Of stung. Very, very large. All right. So they also made sculptures. These are marble polished sculptures pulled out of mounds in Etowah, Georgia. People think these people, uh, most Americans think that the Native Americans didn't make things like this, but they did. And then there are hundreds of these. That one kind of looked like the kneeling Moai from Easter Island, the only kneeling Moai on Easter Island. I've never heard that before, but you're right. It really does. The almond-shaped eyes. Yeah. uh, the, the look of it. Uh, these are like two and a half feet tall. They're very, very well done. And they, they carry backpacks on them. I and mean, a lot of mysteries associated with them. Uh, here's a, a picture. Somebody of asked, do you know, because I know Native Americans used obviously tobacco, but I think some have obviously used cannabis from things that I've read and also different nuts and that have, you know, and, and mixtures that have different psychoactive compounds. Do you know if they found different yes. residues or what they found in uh, those pipes? They have found uh, psilocybin mushrooms that were used. Uh, there are many more. I actually wrote a, a textbook called Psychopharmacology back in 1989 it came out, a long time ago, wow. and I had a large section about indigenous hallucinogenics. Uh, there's roughly 20 uh, hallucinogenics that are found. I mean, mimosa tree. A coleus plant, believe it or not, morning glory uh, and morning glory seeds. Yeah, Hawaiian uh, baby woodrose. Yeah, all those things found. And there's many, many others that I don't even get into. Uh, nutmeg is a good example, too. Lots of people would use this stuff, and if you don't use some of these things correctly, uh, at, the, at, the, at the least you might get sick, at the most you can get liver damage. It's like nutmeg. You eat too much nutmeg, you get liver damage. Right. Uh, you'll get you'll get. Yeah, that's one high. of those crazy ones on uh, Irwid, yeah. uh, the vault there, where you can look through all the psychoactive compounds and people's experiences and stuff. And the weirder ones are always like nutmeg. And there was another yeah. one I can't remember, but it's, uh, yeah, it's all those like roots and different things, like yeah. not the normal ones, you know. 
So we're going to wrap this up, just show you a couple. That's Andrew Collins walking up the Florence, Alabama. Just a gigantic mound. I mean, it's it's hard to really get a grasp of these without being there. Uh, Toltec Mounds in Little Rock, Arkansas, if you ever get there, uh, was occupied over a 1,000 years. There were 18 mounds. Uh, there was an earthen embankment around it, an earth, a wall of earth, 5,300 feet long. And this is the first, one of the very first to have the solar and stellar alignments verified. And that's what we'll talk about with your patrons. Okay. Uh, another one in Louisiana, totally destroyed. I love this site, Troyville, because I like the name in Louisiana. And finally, we will end with Moundville, Alabama, 1950 U.S. Air Force photo of it. You've got 20 platform mounds in a 326-acre site. And this was one of the very first sites where the Path of Souls rituals were verified. And the, the um, Mississippian-era mounds were the ones that were found first by the explorers because they were so large. And then, as they found others, the mystery became greater and greater. But by the time, by the, time the explorers got here, the mounds were all covered, and nobody knew what they were used for. Mm. So that's kind of the story that we've gone through, the main eras of the mounds. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you're... That was beautiful. Yeah, people loved it. The uh, the live feed was uh, lit up the whole time. Awesome. So a couple, well, I, know, want, well, I know you have a couple, sold a couple questions. books during that. You sold an Alabama mound book, and oh, wow. uh, I think a couple other people were mentioning it. So. Okay. If any, you have any questions on that? Yeah, I wanted to ask you something. I've been doing these uh, Maurice adventures. I'm uh, in Michigan right outside of Detroit. Is there a particular mound that you suggest I should visit as my first adventure? Absolutely. Uh, very close to Detroit. Uh, give me a moment to think of the name of it, or I'll look it up in our little break here. Uh, it is a site that my wife and I went to. I think it had nine mounds at the time, and they were totally covered when we were there. It's now been turned into a park, uh, and I don't have the book handy here for me to look at, but I'll look it up during the break. But yes, absolutely. Get there. In fact, I would love some pictures of these mounds since they've uncovered them. Uh, and made them more visitable. We went at a time when you weren't supposed to visit them, and that's how we did a lot of guerrilla visitation. Oh, yeah. It means you just go without being invited or without getting permission. Well, we're but from yeah, uh, we Gross Point, which is a city outside of Detroit. There's actually a couple famous Native American things that happened on those shores because it's along Lake St. Clair. Um, and you know what, Maurice? You know what I was thinking about? It was Vernier Hill, like the whole time we were... Discussing. Oh. I, I don't think I don't know if that is a mound, but it's something that we should probably look into. This, yeah. Uh, but I guess um, back to Maurice's question about: it, Have you ever heard of? I know in Sanilac they have petroglyphs, um, mm. Native American Lord's petroglyphs. Head. But uh, yeah, is, so is that one site you're talking about the only mound site that you know of in Michigan? No. Oh no. There's. I'm sure it's all over. There are hundreds. Of mound sites, you guys have copies of the mound encyclopedia, I believe. Am I correct? With I, that? I yeah, I do. Okay, look in that. Go to the, the you know, it's done state by state. Go to Michigan and have a look. 
Okay. Uh, and that, just take a look. You will see loads of them. It tells you where they are, how to find them, because when we did that book, when we initially got gathered the material for that, probably half the sites you couldn't visit. Now you can visit a lot of them. Uh, but it'll tell you how to get to public and private sites. Uh, and yeah, but it's probably got uh, 500 mounds in Michigan listed. Okay. Uh, and not 500 sites, but 500 mounds. Some of these sites have hundreds and hundreds of, of mounds at them. Yeah, I know there's some other weird stuff found on this place that some of our friends' bands used to play on called Beaver Island. There's some yeah. weird stone circles and stuff up there that they don't really know a whole lot about. I also... am I'm familiar with that, yes. Uh, the Native Americans did make stone circles, prayer circles, uh, many of those in Alabama. Some of those are in that Alabama book, too, showing those. Uh, they usually have one opening. Uh, and it's it's always oriented to the sun, uh, and it but it depends on its function whether it's sunrise or sunset. Mm. Sunrise, uh, it's it's a different function. Just like the mound alignments have different functions, uh, and the sacred sites, the sacred enclosures can have different functions based upon the time of year. Uh, and, but they use stars to align these sites. It's all interesting stuff to me. I am I remain fascinated by it and i am still running alignment checks on mounds which i've gotten very good and efficient yeah. at well and it bet to even add more evidence to your book with andrew the denise of origins that they, they just found uh like 200 stone tool parts in a cave in mexico chiquahite i believe is the name of the cave uh that date back to thirty thousand years ago so it obviously yeah. way before clovis first so yeah um yeah, so let's wrap it up here and do the Patreon segment with you. And if anybody's watching this live right now, we're going to do a Patreon, and then I will upload it later. Again, I just uploaded one with Randall Carlson, too. Uh, so we're cranking them out here, and uh, we appreciate you guys watching. And again, if you have not checked out uh, Dr. Gregory's books, I have the link down below at the bottom. Uh, you can also follow him on Twitter, which I do. He's pretty active on there. And um, also check out his website, freedomtochange.org. Uh, and if you're interested, you can check out our website at mindescapepodcast.com. And uh, if you're listening, again, on audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're watching on YouTube, please check out our audio channels. And, uh, yeah, patreon.com slash mindescapepodcast. And uh, I just want to thank you again, Dr. Gregory, for putting that together. And uh, that was a great presentation. You walked us through kind of chronologically what the uh, – what was going on and uh, lots of interesting information. And I definitely learned a lot, probably more than most episodes. Absolutely. You know, guys, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And Hey folks, be a patron. All right. Well, we yeah. love the endorsement and uh, we love when you come on. You're so easy to talk to. And if you haven't checked out our other episodes with Dr. Uh, Gregory, go check those out. I'll put the links down below. And uh, that's it. Everybody stay safe out there. We love you. And uh, we'll be live tomorrow with Laird Scranton. So everybody have a nice day. Peace. Peace.